Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to all of you, almost. Christmas is a time of great celebration, and it's a celebration of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking uh, over the past uh, several months at the second coming and all the prophecies concerning the second coming. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do was just pause for this month and say, you know, there were prophecies concerning his first coming that have all been fulfilled. And if they have all been fulfilled, then we can rest assured that all of the prophecies concerning his second coming are going to come to pass with as much precision as the first coming. And so there are literally hundreds of prophecies concerning his first coming. And if we start now uh, and go through them, uh, we'll be here until New Year's. So we'll just take a handful of them. And um, the first coming of Jesus Christ has left its mark in time. We actually split B.C. from A.D. based on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's left its mark in eternity. There are many people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are saved and will be saved for all eternity. And so his first coming is, is something to celebrate um, at this time of year. It's a time of celebration, a time rem- of remembering God's gift of love to us. It's a time of good news, a time of joy to the world a time of peace on earth. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, all those things are yours. Um, And at least that was the message of that first Christmas night. The coming of Jesus Christ was no accident. It was planned before the world began. It was planned in eternity past. And... um, So the first thing we're going to do as we look at uh, prophecies, I'm going to go back to the very first prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an ancient prophecy. It is currently, it is 6,000 years old. It was 4,000 years old. Uh, So the prophecy, the Old Testament prophecy predicted Jesus' first coming 4,000 years before he was born. And... uh, As we study some of the prophecies concerning the first coming, this is the first. We find this ancient prophecy in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. But before we look at it, I want to consider the background to this prophecy. When we read the Genesis account, we read about our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were created by God. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. They were allowed to enjoy all of the fruit of the trees of the garden. God said, you may freely eat except one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were allowed to enjoy all of it. In fact, they lived in a perfect environment and there was only one rule to follow. How awesome would that be? (laughs) But uh, most of us know this story and we know that the devil appeared, who was a fallen angel, the devil appeared to Eve as a serpent and he deceived her to take the forbidden fruit and give it to her husband. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They were immediately 
placed into bondage. And that bondage is the, under the slavery of Satan. The Bible says that he, the devil, had the power of death. Their sin plunged the entire world into sin. And it is true to say that all evil, crime, corruption, wars, sickness, disease, sorrow, and death have flowed like a river from the Garden of Eden. Um, and the facts are obvious. Um, as, as, you see, as you see the uh, event take place and what has happened as a result of it, it not only affected Adam and Eve, it affected all of the human race. It destroyed our relationship with God and it destroyed our relationships with each other. Every sin ever committed by anyone at any time can be traced back to the fact that we inherited the sin nature from Adam. We are sinners by birth, but we are also sinners by practice. Do you know that there are people living today who believe that they are not sinners? I'd like to ask them just one question. Do you believe that you are dying? Now, nobody in their right mind is going to say, no, I'm not dying. All of us are dying. From the time we took our first breath until now, we are using up our allotted lifespan one day at a time. The facts are obvious. We are all dying. Death has infected every, uh, all of humanity and every country and every race throughout history. And the Bible tells us why. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence of being a sinner. The sin of Adam and Eve resulted in death to all mankind. And we are born that way. We are born dead. We are born, and what I'm saying by that is we are born separated from our relationship with God we are born to die physically, and if we die physically, separated from God, we will be dead for all eternity. That doesn't mean we don't exist, but it means that we will be separated from God for all eternity. We are born in bondage to death, the Bible tells us, and people fear death. And we see that just by how we are self-preservationists. What do I mean by that? If something, if we're about to have an accident, what do we do? We try to avoid it. We try to save our lives, but we are all on the road to death. But the ancient prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 tells us that God saw our need and determined that he would rescue us from the bondage of our sin and from the penalty of uh, death that we all face. So let's read the prophecy. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. God is speaking to the serpent here, and he said, So the Lord God said to the serpent, verse uh, 14, Because you have done this, because you have deceived Adam and Eve, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, let me start at the very beginning of the prophecy. Do snakes slither on the ground to this day? Yes, they do. That should be a reminder to all of us of what happened in the Garden of Eden. A reminder of the temptation and the fall that led to our death sentence. Next, the prophecy tells us that there will be enmity. That means hostility or hatred between Satan and the woman. Between satanic forces and the human race. And that Satan will wage war against us. And when we look at the world, we see evil all around us. And we soon realize that there's not only evil around us, there's evil in us. And that part of the prophecy has continued to be fulfilled daily for the last 6,000 years. You see, Satan is a liar. And he's a deceiver. And he's the father of lies, the scripture says. He is a deceiver and a murderer. And he and his demonic forces continue to seduce the world into sinning against God. The world is filled with liars, blasphemers, adulterers, murderers, haters, thieves, and more. Look around you and people are in bondage to their sin. They are in bondage to their addictions and their sins. And we are born in bondage and our sins have separated us from a relationship with God. Do you know that Satan is waging war against you, against your soul? His purpose, and he only has one purpose when it comes to you, his purpose is to kill and to destroy. That's what the scripture says. He wishes nothing good for you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him in the lake of fire. Now, the final part of the ancient prophecy is often called the first good news, the first good news that we find in the Bible. And uh, God promised that he had a plan to defeat Satan and to set us free from the bondage to sin, to set us free from death, to set us free to become his children. God promised to send a man. And he's described here as the seed of the woman. And that man would bruise Satan's head. If you have a bruise or a blow to the head, in this case, it's a fatal blow. God promised a fatal blow to Satan's head. He predicted that the act of crushing Satan's head would bruise the seed of the woman's heel. This prophecy points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be born of a woman's seed. In other words, he would be born of a virgin. Satan would bruise Christ's heel, and Christ suffered. He bled. He died on the cross. But that that bruising of his heel would actually result in the crushing, uh, that is, the ultimate defeat of Satan. That's what the prophecy means. And it's the first prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ that we find in the, New, in the Old Testament. We read in the New Testament, in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, that through death, 
he might, Christ might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And what that means is that Christ's death would defeat Satan, or not would, it did defeat Satan, um, and, uh, and release us from our bondage. So after the giving of this prophecy, the human race waited for 4,000 years for it to be fulfilled. And as we know, God cannot lie. What he promises, he will fulfill. And after 4,000 years, we read this. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God's gift that first Christmas day was the gift of his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And at just the right time, God sent forth his son. God is eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. If he says he sent forth his son, it means that Jesus existed before time. He's eternal. Jesus has always existed, but he came to the earth as a baby that first Christmas night. And God waited for just the right moment when all the prophecies would come together and be fulfilled. And he sent his son, born of a woman, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was fully God, and now he was fully man. He was born under the law. That means that he was born into a Jewish family and kept the law of God perfectly. He paid sin's awful curse by dying on a Roman cross, shedding his blood, and redeeming us to God by his blood. And we no longer need to be slaves to sin and separated from God. He died for us, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Imagine that God looked at us, sinners, separated from him, and says, I want to make them my children. I want to not only forgive their sins, I want them in my family. What a marvelous act of love. The fulfillment of the ancient prophecy reminds us that God has a purpose and a plan. And not even 6,000 years of human history would prevent his plans from being fulfilled. But it also reminds us that if God has a plan for his son to come and to shed his blood and to save us, then he must have a plan for us too. And that prophecy includes you and it includes me. Jeremiah 29 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Can I ask you, have you sought the Lord? Do you know the Lord today? He says, if you seek me with all your heart, 
I will be found by you. Seek him if you don't know him. Trust him if you haven't already trusted him. If you call upon the Lord, if you seek him with all your heart and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins will be forgiven and he will adopt you into his family too. Well, Christmas is a celebration of good news. When Jesus was born, God sent angels to announce the good news to the shepherds who were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God has a purpose of bringing peace to your life, of bringing peace to your heart, of bringing peace to you uh, for all eternity if you simply trust him as your Lord and Savior. It's good news, God's goodwill toward men. God promised to send a Savior 4,000 years before Christ was born. But we have to ask the question, how would the Savior defeat sin, death, hell, and Satan? How would he deliver us from the bondage of our sin? You see, we were dying. We needed someone to save us. We needed a Savior. And the angels announced that night that there was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. So, as I mentioned, there are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, and God, praise his name, he was so specific and so detailed about who the Savior would be so that none of us would be mistaken. None of us would see some guy coming along saying, I am the Christ, or I am the Messiah, and be fooled by it, because the Messiah had to meet every single one of the prophecies. And the only person who ever uh, fulfilled the prophecies or who could ever fulfill the prophecies is the Lord Jesus Christ. There are amazing and detailed prophecies in the Old Testament about the death and resurrection of the Savior. And uh, we want to look at just some of these today. So I'm going to look at several... um, books of the Bible. I'm going to look at some prophecies in the Psalms. I'm going to look at some prophecies in the book of Isaiah. And we'll scatter a few other uh, prophecies in there as well. I want to say this to you, that the Psalms were written about a thousand years before Christ was born. So this is nobody that was living at the time of Jesus and simply wrote down what they saw. These were predictions prophecies that had to take place in order for Jesus to qualify as our Savior. And the book of Isaiah, written about 700 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. And you will see how Jesus fulfilled them in his crucifixion and in his resurrection with such amazing detail. I want to point out something else. As you hear the prophecies, think, 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 that there are characters involved in the fulfillment of these prophecies. They are all individual people. And these individual people 
not even knowing it, were doing things that were in fulfillment of the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture tells us that they were ignorant of what they were doing, and yet they fulfilled the prophecies. And the details are so amazing. So I'm going to try to point that out as we go. So last week, David brought us up to the point, uh, finished Jesus' life and the fulfillment of prophecies in his life. He got to the point of getting to the crucifixion. And he left us with the verse about uh, Judas uh, selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, which was actually an exact um, uh, fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Today we start with the prophecy that tells us what happened with that 30 pieces, those 30 pieces of silver. Because Judas had them in his possession. And then the Bible tells us that he felt guilty for what he had done. And he went back to the chief priests and the scribes and he wanted to return the money because of the guilt that he felt for his sin. And they wanted nothing to do with him. So he took the money and he threw it onto the temple floor and he walked away and he hanged himself, the scripture says. He committed suicide. Well, now they've got the 30 pieces of silver on the floor. What do they do with it? They can't take it and put it into the temple treasury because this is the price of blood, the scripture says. It's blood money. They can't use it for holy purposes. And so the scripture tells us, there's a prophecy in Jeremiah 32, 6 through 9. It's too long to read, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the fulfillment of it. You can always go back to that prophecy and read how accurate this is. In Matthew 27, 7 through 10, it says this, And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was pierced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. That's actually a quote out of Jeremiah. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. The chief priests were antagonistic toward Christ. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They, they did not get this money and go, wait a minute, Jesus is the Messiah. Let's go back to the Old Testament and see what we're supposed to do with this money. But they did it in fulfillment of Scripture unknowingly. God is superintending all that occurs in all of life, in everyone's life. And yet, by their own will, they, they did these things and fulfilled the Scripture. The second uh, prophecy I want to consider is found in Isaiah 53, 7 that he would be silent before his accusers. Jesus was brought into a, what is often called a kangaroo court late at night. It was illegal. And they tried him and found him guilty of nothing. And they crucified him anyway. But it says that he would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The fulfillment is in Matthew 27, verses 12 through 14. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. 
Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy. Third, he would be beaten beyond recognition. Prophecy is in Isaiah 52, 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. His face was marred or, or beat up more than any man. And his form, his body, more than the sons of men. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says as well, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. A 700-year-old prophecy. And it came to pass when Jesus was uh, being scourged. And uh, the fulfillment is Matthew 27, verses 26 through 31. And I'm just going to read portions of it. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers stripped him, twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and mocked him. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. They mocked him and led him away to be crucified. Number four, they would give him wine or sour, um, um, sour wine to um, vinegar, I should say. Vinegar or, or sour wine, same thing. They would give him sour wine and gall to drink. So, uh, Psalm 69, 21. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The fulfillment, Matthew 27, 33 through 34. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink. How can you predict these things would take place with such precision? All of this is in a matter of, of hours or minutes um, at the crucifixion. All of these prophecies came to pass uh, with such precision. It also tells us in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, that they would gamble for his clothing. It says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The fulfillment, Matthew 27, 35, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, remember I said at the beginning, there are characters involved in all of the fulfillments of these prophecies. You have Pilate. You have the religious leaders. You now have the Roman guards who are sitting there at the foot of the cross, and they see the garments, and they say, look, these are expensive garments. We're not just going to tear them up. Let's gamble for them and see who gets them. Who could have predicted that? These Roman soldiers knew nothing of the scriptures. They weren't going back and saying, wait a minute, we have a, uh, there's a place for us in this play. We need to play our part. They just did it, and it's in fulfillment of the scripture. But all of these things had to take place for us to recognize who the Messiah would be, who the Savior is. Death by crucifixion. 
If you go back in history and find out when crucifixion took place, the prophecy was written before there was such a thing as crucifixion. But in Psalm 22, 16, it says, They pierced my hands and my feet. And the fulfillment is seen in Matthew 27 again. The crowds shouted, Let him be crucified. Pilate delivered him to be crucified, verse 26. In verse 31, the soldiers beat him and led him away to be crucified. And then verse 35, they crucified him. They, fulfillment, they pierced my hands and my feet. You understand that, that uh, crucifixion is a horrendous form of death where the victim's hands are pierced with large nails to hold them uh, to a cross and his feet were pierced and, and uh, nailed to the cross that he would hang there uh, for your sins and for mine. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. And yet Jesus had committed no sins. He had committed no crimes. But it was his love for you that sent him to the cross. It was for your sins he died. You know, there was a disciple named Thomas. We often call him Doubting Thomas. And he said to the disciples, unless I see, they, they told him that he had risen from the dead. And he kind of, you know, he didn't say this in scripture this way. He goes, yeah, right. But that was his attitude. And he says, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and, and put my finger in it, and unless I put my hand in the sword hole in his side, I will not believe. Jesus later appeared to him and showed him the holes in his hands and feet and side and basically challenged him, here I am. Put your hand there. If you want evidence, here it is. Jesus said to him, Thomas, well, Thomas, of course, said, I don't think he did that, but he said, my Lord and my God. He recognized how foolish it was for him to not believe. And Thomas, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We really have overwhelming evidence from the scripture and from history that Jesus died on the cross. We have overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead. And blessed are you. How happy are you who believe just based on the words of the scripture, just based on the simple message that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again the third day for your justification. Number seven, he was innocent and yet he would die for others. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When Jesus stood before Governor Pilate, he interviewed him, checked him out, and this is what he said, I find no fault in this man. Jesus wasn't dying on the cross for his own faults. He wasn't dying there for his sins. But, but Isaiah 53 tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for others, for us, for you, for me. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, we have the fulfillment. It says, 
He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, he writes in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, he's the just one, dying for the unjust, that's us, that he might bring us to God. How, how did he do this? By being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. Number eight, he would be mocked for his trust in God. Psalm 22, 7 and 8 reads this way, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. That's a, that's a mock, a mockery of, of his relationship with God the Father and his trust in him. The fulfillment is seen in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44. Again, I'm just going to read portions of it. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. And then, this is the fulfillment of that uh, passage in Psalm 22. This is what they said. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Number nine, he would be forsaken by God. Psalm 22 verse one starts this way. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Incredibly uh, challenging and, and, and moving is the fact that God the Father turned his back on God the Son because of my sins and because of your sins. He was forsaken for you and me. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was for us that God forsook his son. Number 10, none of his bones would be broken. That's an amazing prophecy, actually. It's found in uh, Psalm 34, 20. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. When you think of what Jesus suffered uh, for us, the beating that he took place. You know, in the, in the film, um, I forget the name of the film, but it's where the, uh, they were portraying the crucifixion of Jesus. I think it was, somebody help me here. The Passion of Christ. I think the guy who played, the actor who played Christ, they actually whipped him accidentally. They had a, had a board to protect him from getting whipped. And the, the end of the whip actually hit the board and came around the other side, and it broke bones. It knocked him out. Jesus bore the full brunt of it, and not a bone was broken. Usually the Roman guards would allow those who suffered crucifixion to suffer as long and a horrible death as possible. But when time came where they had to get them off the cross, they would come up to them on the cross and break their legs, break them, the knees, basically, so that they would buckle 
and uh, they could no longer have strength to, to catch a breath, and they would suffocate and die a horrible death that way. When they came to Jesus, they broke the, the bones of the uh, thief on either side of Jesus, but when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, and uh, they did not break his bones. Uh, that fulfillment is John 19, 31 through 37. Number 11, he would be numbered with the transgressors. In, in uh, Isaiah 53, 12, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. With him on either side, Mark 15, 27 says, were crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Well, our time is, is running by quickly. He would be parched with thirst, the scripture tells us. He would be buried with the rich, the scripture tells us. He would rise from the dead. I'll read that one, Psalm 16, 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, that is Hades, the place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And we see that that prophecy was fulfilled. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus predicted that fulfillment himself. He said, therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself I have the power to lay down and I have the power to take it up again, the command I received from my father. It's very interesting too that, um, I, I skipped this, but I, I wanna go back to it for just a minute. When Jesus was on the cross and it says, when all scripture was fulfilled, Jesus said, finished. It's a marvelous, just go back and read that passage in John. Jesus waited for the last second before giving up his life so that all scripture concerning the Messiah, concerning the Savior, were completely fulfilled. And when they were all fulfilled, he said, finished. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. I want to read just one little passage more for you, and then we're going to end. In Acts 13, we read this. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you, Glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, through Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by everyone who believes is justified or declared righteous by God. What he's saying here is this, the fulfillment of all these scriptures proves that Jesus Christ is the Savior. 
And that simple message of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose again the third day for you, that if you believe that simple message, you too will be declared righteous in God's sight. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be adopted into the family of God forever. Let's give him thanks. Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful testimony of your life, of your death, of your resurrection. We thank you that all of the prophecies concerning your first coming have been fulfilled. We thank you that not one was left wanting. Lord, we thank you that your death on the cross was for us, that you paid for our sins in full. We thank you that death and uh, hell and Satan were defeated by your resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, that you have now uh, provided for us the good news that we can be saved, have our sins forgiven, and be adopted into the family of God. We pray, Lord, if anyone here or who is listening may not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation for them. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.